If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Tonight on Love and Respect with Georgia once again at the center of American politics, a look at the key races this year with political commentator Andra Gillespie. So that, nat- that national championship ain't going to help get Herschel over the hump. No, no. I mean, I think it's helping him <laughs> win this primary. Okay. But at the end of the day, this is going to be a very close election. I won't predict the outcome because I can't predict the outcome of the general so you, election. So you do think it's going to be close? I think Georgia politics are close. Emory Professor Andra Gillespie coming up right now. Love and Respect with Killer Mike is made possible by... Welcome to Love and Respect, Professor Andre Gillespie. I am so honored to have you here. I'm honored to be here. You're one of the people that make Emory University even cooler. Thank you. So, um, And I just want to tell the audience out there, um, me as, as a guy with the Morehouse, Professor Emory, we have four degrees between us. You have them all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and, since 2020, Georgia has become an epicenter of sorts of, of politics in this nation. We almost elected a black woman um, as, a, as a governor. Um, she came up a few vote, votes shy. Um, have a guy in there, um, Brian Kemp now, who's a more moderate Republican than some of the ones we've had in the past, surprisingly enough, in terms of um, governors or people who held office here. I, I, I expected, like, um, totalitarian shutdown of all things progressive didn't really happen. So it made me wonder, like, what's next for Georgia? Georgia has become an increasingly competitive state. Mm -hmm. People didn't start to notice until 2018 and 2020. But really what those are are the latest data points in a long line of election results that suggest that over the last decade, Georgia has become increasingly more competitive between Democrats and Republicans. Mm And the reason why this has happened is for two factors. One, Georgia is a racially and ethnically diverse state, and it's become increasingly so in the last 20 years. So if we look at the first decade of the the 21st century, uh, we see evidence of reverse migration. So African Americans who may have moved north or west, particularly north since we're on the east coast, uh, coming back to Georgia. Atlanta is viewed as the black mecca, a place where middle class black professionals can thrive. So there are lots of people who have come to try to, you know, win their fortune here. In addition to that, in the last decade, we've seen um, an increase, um, and this is true in terms of our population, but it's also true in terms of the number of registered voters of a large Latinx and, and Asian American population. So the proportion of Georgia voters who are Asian American or Hispanic has actually doubled, basically, wow. in the last decade. And so that makes us look different from Mississippi and Alabama and, 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 and Louisiana, so states that also have large African American populations, but they don't have that same type of multicultural diversity from people who aren't um, necessarily white or black. And so that coupled with um, a uh, large enough liberal white population, it's making uh, the Democratic Party more competitive. The other thing that's happened is is that you could have bodies, and um, you could assume for now that those bodies are more likely to be Democratic than Republican, but they have to turn out to vote. Um, And and communities of color usually don't get targeted with 
the types of campaigns and mobilization pleas that will increase their likelihood of turning out to vote. It's why voter turnout rates in communities of color have typically lagged white uh, voter turnout rates in addition to other structural factors. What we've seen happen is that there is concerted uh, mobilization by groups who uh, might be nonpartisan but may be viewed as being sympathetic to the Democratic Party and a more concerted effort by the Democratic Party of Georgia to go reach voters who are likely Democrats but may not necessarily turn out to vote, may not have been previously registered to vote, and they've been trying to get them to turn out to vote. So we could think about the work that the party has done, but we could also think about the work that's being done outside of the party with groups like the New Georgia Project, Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, Black Voters Matter. And these groups led often by black women. Mm -hmm. um, so if we think of people like Stacey Abrams, but we can't forget people like Helen Butler has been doing this for decades, or Latasha Brown. They have been working for a really long time. And it didn't look like it was paying off in 2013 or 2014, but it started to look like it was bearing fruit in 2018 when Stacey Abrams comes within 55,000 votes um, of winning the Georgia gubernatorial race. And it paid off in 2020 with the results that we saw in the presidential election and then also in, in the runoff election for the U.S. Senate. So let me ask you about the, the, a member of the groups that we don't often hear about but they are a part of the 90% and higher voting rate out of the African-American community, African-American men. Mm -hmm. As I watch the races that are going on in Georgia now, I see Vernon Jones, former Democrat, and was a solid Democrat when he was out in DeKalb County um, in terms of getting people contracts, in terms of making sure that citizens were heard on a state level from that county, has since switched to Republicans. Mm -hmm. He is a person now that was running for governor, dropped out of that race, and then pivoted toward Purdue. Um, feels like he was, of course, asked to do so, mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, I understand politics, mm -hmm. so if you can bring a certain amount of black men to the Republican Party, it's definitely going to empower you. But it, as I travel through Georgia, through North Georgia, Southeast Georgia, Southwest Georgia, I'm hearing more black men say, I feel left out. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares what I have to say. I voted Democrat, but I'm pro-gun. Why do I have to choose a candidate that's not pro-rifle? I hear them say things like, why would I want to um, invite a competitive workforce in? So when you hear about um, a bust at one of the, 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 the chicken houses in North Georgia and 111 immigrants um, are marched out and the next week, 114 black people say, well, now we're employed. How's the Democratic Party going to contend with that and feeling that men in the community, because you got to get guys out to vote too. Mm -hmm. I remember my grandparents would go to vote together, mm -hmm. my, you know, but then it, now it does, it, I'm, as I go to the polls, I don't see as many of us and I see a lot more of black men complaining. What is the message that Democrats need to say to them? And what's the message that Republicans, because, you know, Republicans are smart people and, and not the Democrats are, but they tend to involve your self-interest mm -hmm. with their cause. And they'll say, well, you might think it's racist, but we're going to let you keep your rifles and you're not going to have to compete with an outside workforce. What's the message that these two parties have? And then it's going to lead to a next question because I want to ask you about Warnock versus Walker in the, um, in the fall. But talk to, talk to black men for a second. Sure. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, let's unpack it. So, uh, you know, acknowledging the role that black women have played in politics, you know, is really important. And, and, and this is, we're taking an intersectional perspective there, and mm -hmm. we're trying to right wrongs that have been done before. People often don't think about, uh, you know, the Coretta Scott Kings, the Juanita Abernathy's, the Dorothy Cotton's, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the Juanita Lowry's, who were walking right beside their husbands in many instances, and sometimes doing this on, you know, on and their organizing own. And organizing on the ground. And absolutely. organizing on the ground. And so I think that there still is a lot of history history that needs to be corrected there. Mm -hmm. And so by talking about the importance of black women, in part, that is reflecting the fact that there are gender gaps even within black communities in terms of 
the percentage of blacks who are voting for Democratic candidates. Uh, so black women are more likely to vote for Democrats. Mm -hmm. Black men are the second most Democratic <laughs> group um, in the United States. But you know, for structural reasons, the importance of black women gets amplified because of historic reasons why black uh, men's participation has, has been lower. Um, a lot of that has to do with being tied up in the criminal justice system. Mm. So when people are justice involved, they can't vote, right? If you're not quite done with your probation, you can't vote. And so because this disproportionately affects black men compared to black women, because we know blacks in general are more likely to be justice involved, right? There tends to be a greater focus on what black women are doing. So that, nat that national championship ain't gonna help get Herschel over the hump. No, no. I mean, I think it's helping him <laughs> win this primary. Okay. But at the end of the day, this is gonna be a very close election. I won't predict the outcome because I can't predict the outcome of the general so you, election. So you do think it's gonna be close? I think Georgia politics are close. They're, yeah. you know, just there are a lot of Democrats in the state who are not going to vote Republican in in, in this race. And so, you know, this margin, very very comfortable, you know, 40 to 50 point margin that Walker's gonna win is primary by mm -hmm. is being done in a, an electorate that's going to look very different than a general election electorate where Democrats um, uh, are probably going to put everything on the table and we're probably looking at all of these statewide races being gotcha. decided by a margin of five points or less. And we also have, we thought Purdue was going to, to be a real thorn in the side of Kemp, but it seems like Kemp is leading him in the polls by a pretty comfortable amount as well, correct? So, Which leads me to our next, I want to talk about the show off between Abrams, the rematch between sure. Abrams and Kemp. Um, so right now, yeah, it doesn't look like uh David Perdue has been able to make really significant headway in terms of being able to capitalize on the fact that Donald Trump doesn't like Brian Kemp because he didn't try to change the results of the of the 2020 election. Was that a show of integrity? What do you mean by that? I mean he didn't he didn't he didn't comply. Um, was that a I, and I ask that because I I'm amongst black conservatives mm -hmm. and liberals pretty often. And the black conservatives, I know, were, were they doubled down on Kemp's support because they say it showed a certain amount of integrity that he and um, what, Brad Raffensperger, yeah, would not would not fold to Trump's. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that in this instance, that Raffensperger and Kemp did the right thing, and they did so very courageously, given the honor. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. Slot um, of, of opposition and just the vitriol that has been cast their way as a result, yeah. the death threats that they received. Um, I mean, I think you can disagree with other things that they've done before and acknowledge that this was, in fact, the right move and that it was actually a very courageous move for them to stand up to the president of the United States, to stand up to their own party standard bearer and say, no, um, the sky isn't, you know, pink with green polka dots, uh, you know, the sky is blue, mm -hmm. and Joe Biden won the election in Georgia. So I, I very much give them, you know, credit for making that decision. I think Donald Trump underestimated the fact that Brian Kemp has been a politician in the state for a long period of time. He has won statewide office uh, before anybody thought that Donald Trump had political aspirations. He has an organization. He has allies. He has people who owe him stuff, yeah. right? And he was able to muster that organization um, to come against this challenge. Yeah. So even though David Perdue had, uh, you know, maybe one ace card in terms of having the president's endorsement 
Donald, uh, Brian Kemp actually holds a lot of other aces and uh, many other good cards as well. And so he's using that to his advantage. Yeah, I've been kind of watching his campaign. I follow he and I follow Abrams. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I, we'll talk later about this, but I've been watching the Georgia gang since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I'm always interested in what both sides are doing. And one thing I've noticed about him is as he moves around the state, the pictures are diverse. Mm -hmm. You know, you sh I'm used to seeing, to be very honest with you, in Georgia, Democrats and Republicans, when they run for gubernatorial races, you pretty much see them with a bunch of white folks mm -hmm. in the South, Georgia, and up. And his pictures are getting very diverse in terms of the law enforcement. You know, it looks more like the Georgia I know, which is about 35% African-American. And of course, you say Asian, Latinx population growing up. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see um, uh, an incumbent governor, you know, going out and reaching out to all of Georgia and not just the Georgia that supposedly mm. likes them. So I'm interested to see what the Warnock and Herschel Walker race is going to do, and I'm really interested in the big fight that's coming up in November to see Abrams and, and Kemp. Um, it, I want to talk about another Georgia politician, Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm -hmm. and I want to talk about the date January 6th. Okay. There's, <laughs> there's, some, there's some pressure to get her name removed from the ballot because of her endorsement of or, or support of, be it quiet or loud, of that day of January 6th. Let's talk about her and let's talk about that day. Mm -hmm. um, is that day significant as the media is telling us? Is that day going to be what pushes her out of politics and others? Because I'm only really talking about Georgia right now. Since we are a swing state of sorts, I would like to know versus the national focus, what, and, and right in our home state and hometown now here, what's, what's her fate post this election cycle, you think? Well, let's talk about the significance of January 6th. January 6th was very significant. Yeah. Um, if you didn't know that our democracy was challenged, um, you saw it happening in real time on January 6th when you saw people storming the Capitol, mm -hmm. um, when you saw people threatening to hang the vice president, right, if they didn't get the results that they wanted. Um, and I think the aftermath of January 6th, where we haven't actually seen um, a, a national coalescence around finding the truth and then um, calling out bad behavior, um, I think is also very telling about the health of our democracy. There are many issues kind of with her role on January 6th, which I'm going to wait for the January 6th committee to mm -hmm. kind of, you know, come out and sort of reveal more things. We had a, a tranche of text messages that came out this week where she, you know, was, was you know, in some of those texts. But um, ultimately, at the end of the day, this administrative hearing that she went through last week isn't going to kick her off the ballot because yeah. all the administrative judge is going to do is make a recommendation to the Secretary of State, mm -hmm. who is in a fight for his political life to be renominated for his seat. So he is not going, um, he's not going to disqualify Green from the ballot. And so, in the short term, Green is going to look like she got away with something. So it already looks like she got away with that because she's a prolific fundraiser and she uh, raises money off of playing the victim um, and saying that she's being embattled by the woke left, the mainstream media, Democrats, whoever you know can be her whipping boy that day. What can be done about the misinformation that gets out that pushes personality in terms of in, in front of policy? What could be done about that misinformation? Is it something that's going to be done via the media? Is it something going to be done where we retreat back to our homes and churches, like mm -hmm. during the glory days of the SCLC, and talk amongst ourselves, and we see it blossom out of places like Birmingham, mm -hmm. places like Atlanta? What happens? How do we how do we counter the misinformation? I think community is important. Okay. So uh, my friend Melissa Harris Perry, her first book. I love her. Yeah, uh, dear friend. Um, you know, her first book talked. About how people in spaces like churches and barbershops um, and beauty shops talked through issues and it sort of helped to reinforce uh, linked fate. So I think community is important that we don't live on islands and that we need to be engaging with each other and hearing what, what, what other people 
think is, 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 is re and I think that that's very, very important. But I think the other part of, of misinformation is to see this as a civic responsibility. I understand we have been traumatized in the last six years in this United States, and we're tired. To my black folks? Every, but black oh, folks. Oh, I'm not saying we've been traumatized, we've been traumatized in 1619. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but particularly for the last Absolutely. six years, like, you know, since Donald Trump emerged from the escalator, um, people <laughs> were trying to, like, you know, watch and be vigilant, and that, you, that gets really tiresome after yeah, a while. Yeah. However, um, being a good civic uh, citizen um, is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job. Yeah. And so, no, you don't have to watch the news all day, mm -hmm. um, but you do need to watch it every day. Yeah. You need to be up on the issues. You need to be reading a good paper. You need to be reading your local newspaper. Okay. And, I, I was going to say the news every day is a little scary, but reading your local paper. Reading your local paper. I do think, you know, the old-fashioned, like, if you're going to watch network news for half an hour to basically, like, get the headlines, mm -hmm. I think that's important to be informed. I think people are more susceptible to misinformation mm -hmm. when, one, they aren't vetting the sources and they don't can't discern what's a good source and a bad source. And sometimes that's really hard on social media. Yeah. Somebody sends you a post and nobody looks at what the byline is mm -hmm. to figure out where it came from. Yeah. So you don't know if it came from you know your Uncle Joe or your Aunt Sally and yeah. it's just their personal opinion or whether or not this is coming from something like the New York Times yeah. where this is a professional journalist yeah. who had an editor who had to kind of approve what they said first and check their sources to make sure that it's true. Let me ask you this. We have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have for the first time in my life, I see a, I see on both sides a lot of us, people mm -hmm. that look like us. One of the best Republican organizers in the state right now is a young black mm -hmm. woman. Um, her, name is, is, her name is escaping me, but she organizes well. Some of the best, New Georgia Project, one of the best organizations that, that are in our state. I think that there's going to be more blacks on both sides. Who do you see as rising stars, black or non-black, from the Democratic and or Republican Party? Or both parties, who do you see as rising stars? Um, you know, I think regardless of what happens in this election, Stacey Abrams has a lot to say and will have a lot to say and will Absolutely, be respected um, in, in the Democratic Party. Um, I think about some of the unsung um, people um, who might not necessarily be yeah, members the of the Yeah, give people that people don't know. Yeah, give us some new names Congress, to But I think Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, who is in a competitive district um, outside of Chicago, uh -huh. um, is somebody who uh, might rise through the ranks. Lauren, and, a Democrat? Democrat. All right, give me a Republican. You know, I think the larger issue is what does the Republican Party Party look like post-Trump yeah. and whether or not um, the Trump wing of the party is continues to be ascendant. Yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this because I'm, I'm, I'm reading Will Hurd's uh, book right now. He's a former Republican congressman from Texas. Yeah. Presents as, as moderate. This is somebody who really can't get elected in the, in the Republican Party right now, yeah. but has very interesting policy things to say. Um, and I think, like, has an important voice, but, you know, it depends on which direction the Republican Party gotcha. wants to go in. Your latest book, mm -hmm. Race in the Obama Administration, um, we're going to wrap, but I want you to talk to me about who many considered to be one of the greatest presidents ever, and many at the end of his campaign, at the end of his run, were terribly disappointed mm -hmm. by someone they were felt was the greatest. What were his challenges? What challenges did he meet and for the benefit specifically of the African-American community? And what things could he have been better about, you think? Well, I wrote this book to ask the question, what did Obama do for black people? Um, I have other colleagues in political science who have written books that focus on the symbolism in the Obama presidency, and we all agree 
Um, it was highly important um, that Barack Obama be descriptively representative. Absolutely. And that symbolism is important. But I think the question is, well, what do you do beyond that? And so um, some of my colleagues would argue that Obama didn't do much for black people. And I would say he did more than many of us realize. So I use the analogy of the duck kind of like treading beneath the surface of the water. Mm -hmm. So it looks like the duck is gliding on the top. There might be more going on behind the scenes. There are some places where I compare uh, President Obama to Presidents uh, Bush and Clinton uh, mm -hmm. before him. So I get some partisan um, comparisons and some cross-partisan comparisons involved. And Obama does look very similar. Um, but then there are some places where we do see greater descriptive uh, uh, representation. Did you give us some? Because we're trying to get people out to vote. So. Yeah, well, you know, one of the, the, the things that, that, that I like to look at is that there's some people who say Obama didn't fulfill any promises to black people. Mm -hmm. So I go through and I code. Uh, What's a big one? What's one big one that he fulfilled for us? Um, the Affordable Care Act. Okay. Yeah. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I mean, so if we look at the sort of rates of, of, of uninsurance or lack of insurance. Heart disease and diabetes and things like that. Well, in particular, just the rates of the, of the uninsured, uh -huh. they go down, and you can see it go down in particular gotcha. in 2014 when Obamacare goes into effect. Gotcha. And that is something that, you know, in a focus group, I had one of my respondents in particular said, he can do nothing else, and I will be happy about Obamacare because she wanted to make sure that her son gotcha. was taken care of. I want to thank you for writing this book. Um, I want to thank you for coming and educating me about much locally and beyond. I felt like I was on an episode of the Georgia game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to thank you for your work you do on a daily basis. It's been an honor having you on Love and Respect. And I hope this is not your last time joining us. Thank you. It's an thank honor to be so here. Much. I appreciate you so much. Thanks. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.